day. Well, this is, of course, the first Sunday in 2024. And before we resume our section-by-section study of the Gospel of Mark, we were doing all through the fall, and then we suspended that for a few weeks during the Christmas season. Uh, And before we return to that, which we'll do next Sunday, I'd like to share with you this morning some challenges and exhortations for the new year. Uh, Then next Sunday we'll resume our study in Mark's Gospel. Well, I want to challenge you with one biblical thought for 2024, and that is to hope in God. And I'd like to begin today in Psalm 42. So if you have your Bible this morning, or if there may be one near you, uh, there's one on every aisle. If you uh, don't have one with you and you would like to follow along, you're welcome to do so. Very happy to have folks follow along, so then you can know for sure if I'm telling you the truth or not. So... That's good. Psalm 42. While you are turning there, I would like to read to you some of the last words of some atheists and agnostics. Of course, you know a person who says says they are an atheist, uh, they do not believe in the existence of God. If they are an agnostic, it means they do not believe that you can know if there is a God or anything else that you cannot see. Uh, These are quotes from history, and so there are some minor variations in the historical record, as there always is. Uh, But uh, let me read to you a few of these uh, famous dying statements of atheists and agnostics. A fellow named Thomas Hobbes, a philosopher in the 1600s. He said, I say again, if I had the whole world at my disposal, I would give it to live one more day. I am about to take a leap into the dark. Thomas Paine, a political writer in the American colonies in the 1700s, as he was dying, he said, Stay with me, for God's sake, I cannot bear to be left alone. O Lord, help me. God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? I would give worlds if I had them, that the age of reason had never been published. The age of reason was a book that he wrote in which he kind of bashed the Bible. He said, Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. No, don't leave me. Stay with me. Send even a child to stay with me, for I am on the edge of hell here alone. If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. It is reported that only six people attended his funeral. Voltaire, a French atheist and philosopher. I have swallowed nothing but smoke, Voltaire said. I have intoxicated myself with the incense that turned my head. I am abandoned by God and man. He said to his doctor, I will give you half of what I'm worth if you will give me six more months of life. When he was told, obviously, that was not possible, he said, then I shall die and go to hell. The nurse who was attending him said, reportedly, For all the money in Europe, I would never want to have to watch another agnostic die. Robert Ingersoll, who was an American writer in the 1800s, he was nicknamed the Great Agnostic. On his deathbed, he said, Oh God, if there is a God, save my soul if I have a soul. Others say it was said this way, Oh God, if there is a God, save my soul if I have a soul from hell. If I have a soul from hell, save me if there is a hell. Joseph Stalin, which most all of you are familiar with, the Soviet revolutionary, in a Newsweek interview with Svetlana Stalin, his daughter, she told of her father's death. 
She said, My father died a difficult and terrible death. God grants an easy death only to the just. And what seemed at the very last moment, he suddenly opened his eyes and cast a glance over everyone in the room. It was a terrible glance, insane or perhaps angry. His left hand was raised as though he was pointing to something above and bringing down a curse on us all. The gesture was full of menace. The next moment he was dead. Anton LaVey, that I remember hearing of when I was a kid, he just passed away in the 1990s. Anton LaVey was the author of the Satanic Bible and, the, and a high priest of the Church of Satan. One of his famous quotes during his life was, There is a beast in man that needs to be exercised, not exorcised, meaning cast out. His dying words of Anton LaVey were, Oh my, oh my, what have I done? There is something very wrong. There is something very wrong. Gandhi at his death, the famous Gandhi, said uh, as he was on his deathbed, For the first time in 50 years, I find myself in the slough of despond. All about me is darkness, and I am praying for light. As I was reading those this last week, I was reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, when he was reminding his readers in the Ephesian church of their past, when they died, uh, not know, or when they did not know, rather, the Lord Jesus. And he writes in Ephesians 2, he said, At that time you were without Christ, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That great phrase, having no hope and without God in this world. What a horrifying way to enter eternity. But the Apostle Paul went on to write, Now in Christ... We have been brought near. And you know, you may know that the phrase in Christ is one of Paul's favorite theological terms. He uses it over 80 times in his letters. It, it, it's a blessed thought to know that we are facing eternity in Christ. And when we talk to people about the Lord and try to share uh, the, the, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and his forgiveness with folks, we, we want them to understand you can be in Christ. That is, you can belong to him. The Apostle Paul said he uses that phrase 80 times in, in his letters to churches. Are you in Christ? And being in Christ, he talks about all of, the, all of the wonderful blessings that that brings to us. So Paul said, in our old days before we knew the Lord, we had no hope and we were without God in this world. But now we are in Christ and we have been brought near by, by, by the blood of Christ. But to our passage in Psalm 42 and our theme for 2024, hope in God. It's a great sermon to preach to yourself every week, every day, perhaps every hour. Just those three little words, hope in God. Let's read the chapter here, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, meaning his enemies, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the, joy, with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of my confidence. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Richard Sibbs, one of the great old Puritan preachers from many, many years ago, back in the 1600s, he wrote an entire book, 175 pages, on Psalm 42 and verse 5. Now, he titled his book, The Soul's Conflict with Itself. Because in Psalm 42, 5, that is exactly what you have. You have the soul arguing with itself. The soul is preaching to itself. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. You see, hoping in God does not come naturally for us. We have to preach it to ourselves regularly. Many followers of the Lord Jesus do not make a practice of preaching to ourselves, but we should. You know, I've said to you dozens of times, perhaps hundreds of times over the years, that you can't change your life until you change your choices, and you won't change your choices until you change your thinking. And one of the ways that we change our thinking is to preach to ourselves, remind ourselves of the truths of Scripture. The psalmist is, is re recording this, this internal wrestling match with himself. Why am I doing this? Why am I feeling this way? He says, hope in God. The best sermon you may preach to yourself this year may only be those three words. Hope in God. And, and I love the way that the psalmists wrestle with themselves to maintain their hope in God. This is really a very normal experience for the people of God. We are forgiven sinners at war with our own carnal flesh. And, and we struggle all of the time to maintain our hope in God. If we are being bashed by someone verbally or otherwise, we should put our hope in God for the strength to not return evil for evil. Without hope in God, we have no power to accept the wrong that was done to us and to continue to walk in love. Without hope in God, we very easily sink into self-pity. If we experience a setback in our plans, we get sick, we have an unexpected financial expense, we face some setback in life, we lose a job, we lose a loved one, or things don't go the way that we hoped, then if we can hope in God, we can get the strength to keep going and to not give up. If we face a temptation to be dishonest or to lie or to lust, we hope in God for the strength to hold fast to the path of righteousness. That's the way that we battle for holiness in our walk with the Lord. But what is hope? Specifically, we don't just want to know the Webster's Dictionary definition, we want to know the biblical definition. 
Uh, we, we have to know what we're talking about before we can get very far in our grasp of these great truths about biblical hope. We use the word hope to describe the desire for something good in the future. For example, when Nathan comes home to visit, he might often say, he might say and he often does, you know, Dad, I, I hope, I hope Mom will cook such and such while I'm home. Or, I hope we can go to Buffalo Joe's for pizza while I'm home. Of course, he's usually very indirect in the way he hopes. Like, uh, hey, Dad, how, how long has it been since Mom made sausage, gravy, and biscuits? He's hoping. Hope, hope is a good thing. There, there's nothing wrong with hoping for good things to come. But in the way that we use the word hope, there is always an element of uncertainty. We're never totally sure. We have our fingers crossed. We hope. But that, that is not the distinctive biblical meaning of hope. Biblical hope is not just a, a desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope is a confident expectation for something good in the future. When the Bible uses that word hope, it, it is a confident expectation. It is not cross your fingers and hope for the best. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it is confident that it will happen. There is a certainty, a confidence when the Bible uses the word hope or hope in God. And the reason for that is because biblical hope is rooted in the character of God. When we use the word hope in our world, we always have the element of uncertainty because we don't know the future and we do, and, and, and we do know human nature. Let me explain that. I could say, I hope that all TV advertisers will represent their products honestly in 2024. Do I think they will? Not really. Because I know human nature. I could say, I hope that every TV preacher will preach the biblical gospel in 2024. Do I really think they will? No. Because I understand doctrinal deception. I could say, I hope that every person in Montana will be totally honest in 2024. But my hope has uncertainty because I know the character of human beings. Let me change tracks. I could say, uh, I hope that if I snore tonight, Carol will not stab me in bed. <laughs> I'm actually very confident of that. She might nudge me. She might even give me a little shove to roll over, but she won't stab me. Why am I confident of that? Because I know her. You see, the only thing she's ever stabbed is a piece of meat that she's preparing to cook. I know she will not stab me. She may nudge me, bump me, whatever. She's not going to stab me. I mean, if I thought she was, I couldn't sleep. You see, there's, there is a kind of certainty that comes from knowing the character of a person. If, if our hope is aimed at other humans, it may not be a 100% infallible hope because humans are not 100% infallible. But it is very secure and confident. It, it lets you sleep at night. It carries you through rough times. But you see, biblical hope 
is not just a mere desire for something good to happen. It is a confident expectation that it will happen. So when the scripture says here in the Psalms, hope in God, it does not mean cross your fingers. It means, to use the words of the great missionary William Carey, expect great things from God. That was William Carey's philosophy of life. He wrote it many times. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. That was, that was his life philosophy. William Carey had hope in God. He had confident expectation based on the character of God. Now let's look again at this great psalm. And let me briefly share with you this morning five ways to learn to hope in God in 2024. It is a day-by-day experience. It's a day-by-day process. Learning to put our hope in God. Battling our own wrong thoughts and attitudes. Refocusing our minds on the character of God and on His plans for us. These five ways uh, to learn to hope in God, they're all interconnected. They all overlap each other. But let me just share them with you. They're not all standalone. They all, it's all kind of one big ball of wax. But let me share them with you this way. The first one is this. Examine your own heart. Examine your own heart. Question your motives. Well, why am I doing this? Why am I feeling this way? What is my focus? That's what the psalmist did. He said in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Meaning all stirred up. Why don't I have a sense of quiet peace in God? What is wrong? What's going on? And he's, he's examining his heart. He's questioning his motives. He's asking himself, Why am I feeling this way? Why am I doing this? Where, 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 is, where is my focus? He said in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. People are continually saying to me, where is your God? Why are you going through this? The psalmist says, you know, where, where is your God? How come he's not taking care of you? And he said, my tears, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm weeping night and day. And he said, I, when I remember these things in verse 4, I pour out my soul within me. Verse, verse 6, he says, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. What's he doing? He's, he's having this internal wrestling match. He's, he, he's examining his own heart and life. So the first thing we do when we're feeling depressed and discouraged and overwhelmed, we need to examine our own hearts. Question our motives. Why am I feeling this way? What is my focus? And then the, the second thing we have to do is we have to preach to ourselves. Spoke about this just a, a couple minutes ago. But I want, to, I want to place this in our list of learning to hope in God. Preach to yourself. The well-known British pastor D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a very insightful book. I've got it on my shelf at home called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. Great book. He was commenting on Psalm 42. Here, this, this psalm. And, and he wrote this. Have you realized that most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we are listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves? Interesting thought. Most of our issues of life are that we are listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. What he meant was this. You take the, he says, take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You haven't originated them, but they are talking to you. They are bringing back the problems of yesterday, etc. Someone's talking. Who is talking to you? He said, yourself. Your inner sinful self is talking to you. Now he said the psalmist's treatment of that in verse 42 was instead of allowing this inner sinful self to talk to him, 
he starts talking to himself. In other words, he starts preaching to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's kind of confronting himself. His soul had been depressing him, had been crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a minute. I got something to say. And instead of listening to his own thoughts, he starts speaking to himself. He speaks to himself about the character of God. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. Oh, my soul, oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon. That's a huge mountain from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. But look at verse 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. In the night, his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He is preaching to himself. He says, I am depressed. I am discouraged. I'm feeling overwhelmed. But he said, I am telling myself who God is. I will remember you, he says. I will remember your loving kindness in the daytime. In the night, God's song will be with me. Don't listen to yourself. Speak to yourself the words of Scripture, the truths of Scripture. Just as the psalmist did here. Stood up and looked himself in the mirror and said, Hey, soul, why are you doing this? He looks himself in the mirror and says, Hey, wait a minute. I can't do this. I belong to God. God belongs to me. I will remember him. I will remember his loving kindness. Yes, people are saying, where is your God? And some days I wonder, where is God? I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I go in mourning, I'm struggling with all this. But, but Lord, he says, I'm going to keep hoping in you. So we have to examine our own hearts. We have to preach to ourselves. Don't listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. Don't listen to what's coming out of your sinful self feeling sorry for yourself and self-pity and, and all those things. Preach to yourself who God is and what He's doing for you. And that brings us to our third thought. Simply remember the character of God. Remember the character of God. As we talked about a moment ago, biblical hope is rooted in the character of God. We have confident expectations because we know who God is and we know what God is like. That, that's why we have confident expectations. We know who God is and we know what God is like. So we remind ourselves of the promises of God. God always keeps his promises. When we focus on us or when our focus becomes us instead of God, then we are always headed for trouble. So examine your own heart. Preach to yourself. Remember the character of God. And then fourthly, sing. I know some of you are thinking, are you, are you kidding me, Larry? Sing? Have you ever heard me sing? Yeah, every Sunday. Sort of. If I listen really closely, I hear you sing every Sunday. But you know what? We, we drastically underestimate the power of singing to change our hearts. Notice in verse 8. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. In the night, His song shall be with me. He's praying by singing a prayer to the God of my life. The psalmist says in verse 4 that he used to go to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. That's singing. 
His tears have been his food day and night. He used to sing with those who went to the house of the Lord. Then he says in verse 8, In the night his song will be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He's singing his prayer to the Lord in the night as he's struggling within his soul. You know, in, in, my, in my youth, I heard a preacher say one time that if he was stuck in the wilderness someplace, or if he was stuck on a deserted island somewhere, he would want two books, his Bible and a hymn book. Never forgot that. Thought very wise counsel. He wanted the Word of God, and he wanted a way to remind him to sing. If you want to build your hope in God, sing songs that lift your soul. Now you say, oh, I can't sing worth a nickel. Well, that's all right. Make a joyful noise, as we jokingly say. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But, but, don't, but don't disconnect yourself from songs that lift your soul and point your heart toward our great God. Godly, Christ-honoring, uplifting music can do wonderful, wonderful things for your soul. I have a special thing that I like. Every Saturday night, and sometimes other evenings, but almost every Saturday night, Carol sits down at the piano and she plays all the songs for today and other songs in her piano interlude. I call it the Saturday Night Serenade. I'm sitting usually back in the office finishing up my message and she's out there playing for an hour. She could play for two, wouldn't bother me. And just there's something uplifting about, about godly, Christ-honoring music. The psalmist here said, God's song will be with me in the night. So sing, sing, sing. And then number five, be thirsty for God. Be thirsty for God. You all, we've sung this song for years, this little chorus, As the Deer. It comes right from this verse, verse 1 of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You know what makes it so beautiful, what makes it so crucial for us, is that the psalmist here is not thirsting primarily for relief from his threatening circumstances. He is not thirsting primarily for escape from his enemies or, their, or for their destruction. Now, it's not wrong to want relief and to pray for it. It's sometimes right to pray for the defeat of our enemies. But more important than any of that it is he, he wants God himself. He is thirsty for God. He is thirsty for a deeper relationship with God. He is thirsty for a more vibrant walk with God. He's thirsty for God. And when our hope is in God, and we come to love God, and then we want to see God, we want to be close to God, we want to be satisfied in God, and when we have that kind of heart attitude, it is much, much easier for us to hope in God. So, so you want to learn to keep your hope in God this year when the challenges of life assault you? Examine your own heart and preach to yourself the truths of Scripture. Remember the character of God. Sing and be thirsty for God. And may I close with you today with one verse from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. I would like you to turn there if you would please. Romans chapter 15. We have this verse on a plaque in our house. I see it every day. 
and love it every day. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. If you've never highlighted it or marked it in your Bible, if you do those sorts of things, this is a great verse to mark or highlight. Romans 15, 13. This is, may, may this be our prayer for whatever 2024 may bring to us. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read it again to you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, may we be filled with hope in you in 2024. Confident expectation that you will perform your will in us and through us. May we be thirsty for you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.